Y'all can be seated. You know, I asked Pastor if I could share a little something real quick. Uh, during the song John sang about seat at the Father's table, God really started talking to me, um, and I wanted to encourage some of you. Let's take this from, from God's table to your table. Let's, let's make it real. There's some of you that need to set a seat at the table for somebody that should be there that is not sitting at your table. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? Some of y'all need to open that door. You need to open that heart. You need to let those wounds be healed. And you need to set a seat at the table for the prodigal that needs to be sitting there with you. Because if that door is shut and that table's not welcoming, don't look for that prodigal to come home. Because the father was always out there every day looking for that prodigal to come home. Y'all with me on that? Y'all with me on that? Some of y'all, some of y'all, some of y'all are those prodigals that need to open that door and walk back in and come home. You need to cross that bridge that you turned and walked away from and said, I will never. And you need to be at a place of maturity and seasoning now that you can turn around and you can walk back across that bridge and you can say, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I should have listened. I want to come home. There's two sides to that table. And the reality is that table's got to be ready and it's got to be open and it's got to be available. Because families are being reunited through Jesus. Hearts are being changed. And I think this is a season that we are moving into doors opening for prodigals to come home and fathers and mothers and grandfathers and grandmothers, hearts are being changed. They're being softened, and it's a season that that door, that God is opening that door for the prodigals to come in and for the families to be reunited together as God created them to be. And there will be healing that will come from that that will affect the generations, the generations of those families, guys. So if you're the father or the mother that's here today and hearing this, set a place at the table for that prodigal to come home. Set a place. I don't care if anybody sits there this Father's Day or Thanksgiving or Christmas, you start setting a table. And if you don't set it physically, set it here in your heart. Y'all with me? Set it in your heart for that table, for that seat. And for those of you that need to walk back in, that need to knock on that door, and need to come back and say, I'm coming home. It's time for you to start making that step. It's time for you to walk back up that front porch, to walk back in that door and say, Mama, I'm home. Daddy, I'm home. Aunt Betty, Aunt Betsy, Aunt whatever, I'm home. And there will be a feeling of release and restoration like you have never known in your life. God is wanting to see these families restored, rebuilt, rejuvenated, revived, and affecting the generations. Amen. 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 Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Crawford. Amen. Receives that word this morning. 
Amen. Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for restoring families. Amen. It's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day again to you. Amen. God tells us in his word to honor mothers and fathers. We probably should do both of them on the same day. But that wouldn't create as much commerce, so we'll do it on two different days. Amen. Happy Father's Day to you. Today I want to, uh, I want to talk to you uh, out of that and uh, just to allow God's grace to, to uh, speak to the fathers, but I'm also talking to the women as well. I mean, those it's the same. Even if you're a woman, you're still a son of God. You re- can you receive that? If a man can be the bride of Christ, a woman, woman can be a son of God. Amen? One verse, John chapter 14, verse 6. We're just entitling this today, God the Father. And uh, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let me read that verse again. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This verse is so familiar to most people that's gone to church very long. But I want to tell you that I saw something in it that I've never seen before. Uh, We normally just focus on those three aspects that Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. But today, I want to speak to you about knowing God as your Father. And we, in the church, we all have the language that God is our Father. We speak about that. We pray our Father. But do we have the experience? I mean, do we really have the tangible experience as God is our Father? Because in this verse, there's really two main elements. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. So we got Jesus as the way. And then secondly, we got the destination. And most have not considered the destination. See, Jesus is the way, but the Father is the destination. Many Christians are on the way, but they've missed the destination. They have never really come to know God sincerely and truly as their Father. And this is the point of Jesus' coming, that that he would bring us back into a relationship with the Father. When I was 12 years old, I think I was in 1972, latter part of that year, I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I was 12, had been invited to a church, to church by a woman that lived across the road from us to Sunday school. And through the weeks and following that uh, experience, I received Jesus. So in other words, I did not know anything about the doctrine of salvation. At 12 years old, I didn't know anything. I could have told you anything about the doctrine of salvation. But what I did have was the experience of salvation. And if I had to choose, I'll take the experience over the doctrine any day. But what I want us not to do here is to settle for one or the other because you can have both. You can have the doctrine of the Father, and you can have the experience of knowing God as the Father. And not just something that we say or articulate in church settings, but we really deep down have that experience. And that's what I believe that the Lord's put on my heart to talk to you about today. Father, we do love you. And you are our Father. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. But you are the destination. That we may come to you, Father. That we may know you. I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. That we may see you. That we may behold you. And that we will have far more than a doctrine and a teaching. 
but that we will have the experience in our lives and we will live out of that experience of the relationship that you are our Father. We pray it, declare it, and decree it. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said amen. amen. Look at somebody, tell them they look as pretty as they can this morning. Tell them, tell them, tell them. <laughs> or handsome for the men, handsome. Most women don't like to be told they're a handsome woman. I guess men don't like to be told they're pretty either. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Listen, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So God's making it very clear here who he's talking about. He's talking about Jesus. Is that right? In other words, God used to speak through the prophets in the old covenant, and he talked through the prophets, and he spoke one way through them. But then he, he has, in these last days, how many knows the last days started in, at Pentecost? The last days started in the New Testament, and the Bible says that. And so we've been living in these last days ever since then for 2,000 years. Now look what it says about Jesus in verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory. Now it's talking about Jesus as the brightness of the glory of the Father. And he is the express image of his person. And upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself. I love that phrase. When he had by himself purged our sins. Notice that God has already purged our sins. God did it without you. So it ain't got anything to do with your begging, pleading, confessing, crying, weeping. That doesn't do anything with sins. God did it by himself. And he purged thoroughly the sin of the world. And when he got through doing that, look what he did. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I love the NIV version, the New International Version of verse 3. I'll read it. It says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. And listen, and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Do you understand in an atom that is the basic element of the building block of life? You remember that from, from school? And in those atoms, they are like charged particles that should cause that atom to just explode and tear apart. In other words, if you take two magnets and take two like ends and push them together, what do they do? They repel one another. They repel one another. Do you understand that inside an atom, that's the way it is? And that the scientists, as smart as we are today, they cannot figure out the force that keeps an atom from tearing all apart. I can go ahead and answer that for them. It's by the word of God. God, by his word, it makes no sense scientifically for that atom to stay together, it does, for it not to repel and just explode and just destroy itself. But God is holding all things together by his word. And it said that, that when, when he had done this, it said when he had him by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. By the way, the word sins here is, is a, not a verb, something somebody done, it is a noun. It is the entity, the thing that Jesus came. When John the Baptist looked and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So God spoke through the prophets in, in times past. But listen, but when God got ready to reveal himself as a father, 
There was not a prophet on the planet that could do that. Elijah couldn't do it. Isaiah couldn't do it. Jeremiah couldn't do it. No one can do it. And let me tell you something today. There's not a preacher alive today that can reveal God to you as a father. I can't do it. I can't do it in this sermon. There's not a preacher or a person that can reveal God to you as the father. I'm going to prove that to you in a moment by the word. But the only person that can reveal God as the father, which can could come into the revelation that he's your father, is the son. The son of God who is Jesus Christ. And so only the Son can do it. John 17 and verse 6, Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. Now, John 17, most of you know this is Jesus's, some people call it his last high priestly prayer. This is his last physical prayer that he prayed on earth. And so it's a long prayer. But in, this is, in verse 6 of this prayer, he says, I have manifested your name. The word manifest is very important because it means to show forth. It means to produce, to show, to, to, to demonstrate. That's what the word means. So he says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So in other words, what name did Jesus manifest to his disciples? Now, these were Jewish men. These Jewish men were familiar with the name of God that the Jews won't even uh, you know, speak about, and if they write it, they hyphenate it, but Yahweh, there's such a holy name, the, the, the Yahweh, the God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob. And so they were very familiar with the name Yahweh, but they were not familiar with God as Father. Nobody referred to God in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, as Father. But Jesus came to manifest the Father to the people, to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Jesus didn't come to talk about God the Father. He didn't come to give a doctrine or a teaching about God the Father, but he came to demonstrate the Father. You remember one time they said, show us the Father. Jesus said, you're looking at him. Because he said, whoever has really seen me has seen the Father. So how did Jesus, listen, how did Jesus demonstrate, manifest, how did he demonstrate the reality of God as his Father? How did Jesus, he said he came to manifest the name. Jesus said, I have manifested your name. How did Jesus, Jesus didn't teach about his name. Jesus, Jesus demonstrated his name. So how did Jesus demonstrate the reality of God as his father? Listen to me. This is how he did it. By living his life like a son. He lived his life like a son of God. He was never fearful. He was never panicking. You never read in the Bible that Jesus rushed to Bethany. Jesus scurried to Galilee. He only had three years to do ministry and turn the world upside down and to deposit the kingdom of heaven in there. He had no fax machines, no texts, no iPhones, no internet, no television, no phone calls, no satellite. But you don't ever see him moving out of rhythm. You don't ever see him panicking. You, you don't ever see him worried about what he's going to wear. You don't ever see him worried about where his next meal or his next paycheck is going to come. You don't ever see him worried if he's going to have enough money to make it next year. You don't ever see him worried about all the things that consume so much of mine in your life. He was never perplexed. He was never worried. 
He was never concerned about what tomorrow would hold or, or bring. He was never worried that he would have enough food to eat or he would have a place to live or, or a roof over his head or clothes on his back. He was never worried about any of those things. He always knew that he had a father and that father was with him and in him. See, those disciples, they saw in the life of Jesus something different that they had never seen. They saw a whole different kind of life that they had never seen before. Jesus lived knowing not just having a theology or a teaching or a doctrine. Jesus lived knowing that he had a real father in heaven. And, and, and prophets and preachers, they can speak about and teach about the father, but they can't manifest him. It takes the son to manifest him. In Luke chapter 10, verse 22, Jesus again speaking, he says, All things have been delivered to me by my father. And listen to what he says. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom, look at here, the Son wills to reveal Him. That's why I said no preacher can do this. There's not a teacher alive today that can reveal God as Father to you. Only the Son, which is Jesus, can reveal that to you. Only Jesus can show you the Father. So how do you know? How do we know? that we are really experiencing the revelation of the Father. We want more than a theology and a teaching and a doctrine, don't we? We want the experience. Now, this might make some of you uncomfortable because I've already have. Listen, to the degree that you worry, you and I worry, and we're concerned about our paychecks, how, what we're going to wear, where we're going to live, how am I going to make it, what if I get laid off. All, to all that degree is the degree that we don't know that we have a Father. Give you three things. Just three things. I could give you a lot more. That you will help us to maybe see together whether we're really, truly experiencing God as our Father. Number one, it gives you your personal identity. This is where your identity comes from, yours and mine. You know who you are if you know God's your Father. And all through the Bible... People are identified by who their father is. All, verse after verse says, it names this person, it says the son of. And it names another person, he says he's the son of this. And all through the Bible, it starts with the revelation of who their father is, and it introduces you, that person, by who his father is. Remember when Jesus, in Matthew 16, he asked them, who do you uh, men say that I am? And so even his enemies didn't agree. They said, some say Elijah, some Jeremiah, some say you're one of the prophets. But then Jesus made it very specific and pointed, and he looked to his own disciples and said, who do you say that I am? And, of course, Simon Peter spoke up, and he said that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and in verse 17 of Matthew 16, Jesus responded to that. And Jesus answered and said to him, look what he says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Now Jesus didn't call him by anything other than who his father was. Bar, in the, in the language, bar means son. So Barabbas is the son of Rabbas. Barjona, Simon, is the son of Jonah. So in other words, Jesus said, you're Simon, son of Jonah. That's what Simon Barjona means. Are you with me? You follow me? So Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, bar son of Jonah. And look what he says, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. See, you're not going to get this by flesh and blood. 
You're not going to go down to the Christian bookstore and get a book and get this. this is, if this comes to you, it's going to only come to you by the revelation of the Spirit. But he said, you didn't get it by flesh and blood. That's not how it was revealed to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then he says to him in verse 18, and I also say to you, notice the whole change now, that you are Peter. The word there is Petros or a rock or a stone. And he says, and on this rock, I will build my church. First time the word church appears in the New Testament. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So notice this. In verse 17, Jesus says, you are Simon, son of Jonah. But then Jesus says, because of this revelation that has come to you, that, that, that you have received a revelation from the Father, then he says, because of this, now... I can say to you that you are Peter. In other words, you will never know who you really are until you first know who he is. If you will know who he is by revelation, then God will reveal to you who you are. See, Peter didn't get to hear who he really was. All he was was Simon, son of Jonah. But when the revelation of God came, then God said, now I can tell you who you are. I can tell you that you are Petros, you are stone, that you're meant for something much more uh, than, than what you're presently doing in your life, that I'm going to release to you that white stone with your name written on it that we all have. Revelation, this is, how many of those that's in there say amen? Every person here has a white stone with your name, and I don't mean what your mom and daddy called you. Because sometimes when you go through stuff in life, in in, in uh, you, the world will name you if you let it. Remember? Uh, when Jacob's wife was given birth and she went into hard labor and she literally died while giving birth. And she, in her dying breath, she said, name, the, the, the midwife said, be of good courage, you've given birth to a male child, to a son. She said, name him Benoniah which is interpreted, the Bible says, the son of my sorrow. But his daddy said, that ain't his name. We're going to call him Benjamin. Benjamin. Benjamin, the son of my right hand. The son of my authority. The son of my power. See, the father names you. you got to let the father name you. Don't let what's happened to you, the pain you've been through, the, the addiction you've been through, the trauma you've been through, the divorce you've been through, the, whatever you've been through, if you allow that, this world, the Mother Earth, will name you. It'll call you Benoniah. You're just a son of sorrow. You cause me great pain. You cause me great sorrow. That's your name. The Father says that's not your name. That's what happened to you, but that ain't who you are. You're Benjamin. You're the son of my right hand. Now, you need to live out of that revelation of who you are and walk into that grace and walk into that destiny and live out of that revelation. Don't, live, let, don't, don't let the world name you. Don't let the world call you blind Bartimaeus. You think that was on his birth certificate, blind Bartimaeus? No, the world named him that. The Father names us. You won't ever really know who you really are until you get the revelation of who he is. And then God can reveal. Some people, I want to know who I am. you got to get a revelation of who he is first. In our culture, people's, even their surnames are related to who their father is. Williamson. Davidson. 
Thompson. What does that mean? It just means son of William, son of David, son of Thomas. But that's even in people's surnames. But you know what? All around us right now, listen to me, all around us is a generation with an identity crisis. You wonder like in the world system, there's been so much talk about identity theft, identity crisis. I want to tell you something. All that is is a manifestation of the real spirit realm of the identity that's been lost. Generation X. You know what X is in math? The unknown factor. The unknown portion. So we have a generation X. We have that where the enemy says, I'm just going to cross out your identity. You're not going to know who your father is. And because you don't know who your father is, you're going to wander aimlessly. You're not going to have your identity. And you're going to be one miserable person, confused. Because you've lost your identity. We've got an identity crisis. The second thing the revelation of the father does is it gives you, number two, total security. Absolute security. Jesus said the most amazing thing in John 14 and 18. He said he was about to depart. He talked about in John 14, he started about comforting them. In my father's house are many mansions. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. And he's comforting their heart. And he gets down to verse 18 and he says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. He was telling them that he was going to physically depart. But he says, when I depart, I won't leave you without a father. You won't be orphans. You won't be fatherless. Pastor friend of mine, years ago, and talked to him in many years, but I remember when he and his wife decided to adopt some children. And they adopted children, even of different uh, backgrounds, different uh, races, and they brought them into their home and officially said, you're my children, you're my child, you're my son, or you're my daughter. Specifically, they were talking about the oldest, what was a, was a daughter and, and, and how that when they first brought her home, they said that they would uh, find uh, food under her bed in her room. Food stuffed between her mattress and her box spring. And uh, she would take food from the table and she would hide it under her bed. And even though she had been adopted and she was legally now uh, had a mother and a father, but yet she was still living under the mentality of an orphan. That's where greed and hoarding comes from. You see hoarders? Orphans. Orphan spirit. They don't think that there's going to be enough. Some of you are threatened and you're in the sales business and, and so somebody else goes into the same business you're in and all of a sudden you feel threatened by that. And you wish they didn't go into the sales because you don't think there's enough people out there that you can sell to so you, you, you live as an orphan to that degree. Come on, don't get mad, but you're an orphan. You think there's only so many fish in the bucket. And the less people we got fishing, the better off I have it. That's an orphan spirit. That's why you got trouble on the job and jealousies and envy and strife and people competing for things because there's an orphan spirit. Then people don't know they have a father. They, they're, they're not depending on the father. They're depending on themselves. They're going to grab all they can get, you know, get all they can, as they say, and can all they get. For the rainy day, for the depression that's coming, for the recession that we're in, for the bad days that's coming. And I'm not saying the spirit is stupid. You don't ever have any kind of savings or anything like that. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about the spirit that motivates what you do. Y'all ain't shouting none today. I'm still preaching grace. But you got to stop living like an orphan. Because you're not an orphan. You, but you, you, you have a heavenly father. 
And so how, how, do, how do most people in church, how do most people in church mainly identify with God? I'll give you multiple choice. How about that? A, A, servant of God, B, friend of God, or C, son of God. Don't answer, but which of those you would choose? You ever heard on the multiple choice test, if you don't know which answer, always choose C. It'll serve you well in this one. But I would say to you, most Christians, listen to me, most Christians, in my opinion, based on what I've observed, relate to God as a servant of God. You ever, I see banners in church, save to serve. Spirit of dumbness put that up there. Maybe not with intentions, but God didn't save you to serve. He's got angels by the myriads to serve him. I didn't have three children so they could serve me. I remember one time one of them, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll leave him nameless. One time I remember just frustrated and I was saying do this and do that. And he said, only reason you had me so I could do this work. <laughs> I was thinking you got to be kidding me. <laughs> so I did a rough calculation. I said, best I can tell up, you, you've cost me already about a half a million dollars already <laughs> just to get you to this place. Imagine it, the work I could have hired for a half a million dollars. <laughs> you just had me to serve. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. If, if you was really serving, I'd have fired you a long time ago. <laughs> God didn't save you. So that you could serve him. But I want to say, listen, most people are trying to pay God back. Well, he died on the cross for you, so you should give him your life. If you do that in order to pay him back, you are insulting the spirit of grace and you are insulting God. God don't expect you, never intended to you, and it is impossible for you and I, all of us together to pay God back. For his precious, holy, sinless, spotless sacrifice of his son you don't pay God back if you pay God back guess what it's not it's not grace most people relate to God as a servant of God I preach so much around here about the finished work of the cross you hear me say that often the finished work of Jesus on the cross so if Jesus really did finish everything 2,000 years ago then why is the world still a mess why is the world still a mess that listen the problem is not maybe what you would think it would be the problem is not legalism it's not condemnation. It's not even sin. It's not the problem. Because God, through Christ, took away the sin of the world. The problem, the root cause, I believe, of the problem is that the majority of people do not identify with God as their father. They don't see God as their father. They see God as their judge. They, they don't see him as their father. They're, they're, they're scared to die because they, they face the judgment. Listen, mine and your judgment has already been accomplished through Jesus Christ. He's bore our punishment for sin. They, they relate to him as something other than a son. And, and, and that's, that's that orphan spirit manifesting itself again. I'm so glad that Crawford confirmed my little point, at least, in my notes here. Because I've got me some notes here to talk about the prodigals. And to talk about the other son, just briefly. I'm not going to go through the story. But, but, but that whole thing between the prodigal son 
and the elder brother that stayed home, both of those guys were suffering from an orphan spirit. They related to God, the prodigal, and those inside the church. In other words, the, the people outside the church, they're like the prodigal son. But, but many of the people inside the church are like the elder brother. And, and listen, neither brother ever really related to God as a father. They didn't see him as a father. They, 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 they both, listen, they both trusted in their own labor, and they had little confidence in the grace and the provision of a loving father. Even when the prodigal said, I'm going to come back home, he rehearsed his speech, and he said, I'm going to tell my my dad this, that I'm going to be like what? One of the hired what? See, that's not grace. See, he said, I'm going to be like one of the hired servants. Because he never saw him as a father. He never, even though that was his father. See, you can be in the church and be born again and a believer in Christ and yet not see God, know God, experience God as your father. Because you're trying to pay him back. You don't even understand the grace of God. That's why that the father, when he ran and embraced that son, that prodigal that come home, and he fell on his neck and kissed him. The, 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 when he did that, the son began to launch into his litany of speech, and the father interrupted him and refused to allow him to even say it. Because if the father had allowed him to be as one of the hired servants, then that removes all grace because then the boy would just be earning a paycheck and a wage. It wouldn't be grace. Listen, there's only two kinds of people in this world. There's sons and there's orphans. Which are you? There's only two kinds of people in the earth. There's sons and there's orphans. Which are you? Which are you? I'm going to tell you what the devil's plan is to get you confused about your identity. He, he was so doubt by asking you, like, just what was the first attack he did on Jesus? After Jesus' public baptism and when God audibly spoke, from heaven, And when God audibly said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, what was the first attack launched by the devil? If you are the son of God. This is the strategy of the devil to every one of us. He, he wants you to doubt. He will try to sow seeds of doubt by asking you, if you are a son, then why are you going through what you're going through? If you are a son then why are you in this wilderness? Why are you in this place of lack? Why are you in this place that's a dry place, that's a dangerous place? Why, why, why has this happened to you? I thought he was supposed to take care of you. If you are a son, see, he tries to make you doubt your, your sonship. And listen, and listen, to the degree that you are uncertain about your sonship is to the degree that you have an orphan spirit. Why are we sons of God? Why are we sons of God? Because God says you are. Now I'm going to show you, I could give you so many reasons, but I'm just going to give you here three reasons why you're the son of God. Why you are a son. Number one, because God says you are. In his word, Galatians 4, 6, and 7. Galatians 4, 6, and 7. He Listen, it says, and because you are sons, not going to be, because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son, where? Into your what? Hearts. God has to send that spirit into your hearts, and it will make you cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. That's an amazing passage. This right here blew the mind of the Jews. They never thought that God would talk to them like that, that he would say that you could say, Abba, Daddy, Father. Verse 7, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. 
And if you're a son, you know what that means? Then you are an heir of God. You own everything that the Son of God owns. You are a joint heir with Christ. Everything that belongs to Jesus now belongs to you. That right there will blow your religious mind if you can even. Everything that was willed to Jesus is willed to you. Because you've been joined to him by one spirit. We are to be, listen, somebody says, well, we're not supposed to be kind of, listen, you're to be servant-hearted, but not servant-minded. There's a big difference. Jesus put on a towel and served the apostles by washing their feet. He was servant-hearted. He had the heart of a servant, but he had the mind of a son. He knew who his father was. Someone with an orphan spirit, let me tell you what they can easily do. They easily identify themselves as I'm a servant of God. I'm just a servant of the Lord. And it sounds humble when you first hear it, but really what it is, it insults the cross and it insults the spirit of grace. Why? Because servants work for wages. But we live under grace and there are no wages earned under grace. Grace is unearned, unmerited, undeserved favor from God. It's based on God, not based on us. Sons, listen, are shareholders. They are not employees. We don't work because we have to, but because we are totally, wholly invested in the success of the family business. I'm a son. I'm a stockholder. I'm a shareholder. Jesus is my elder brother. It's okay to say it. I want to hear it again. Jesus is my what? Brother. He's your brother. You're a son because not only does God call you a son, the Holy Spirit, who is God, he calls you a son in Romans 8 and 15. This is what he says. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Here it is again, Abba, Father. Listen, this is what makes the new covenant totally new. This is why the new covenant is new. And the old covenant, nobody related to God. Nobody said, nobody prayed our Father. But in the new covenant, it's, it's, not, a, it's not about servanthood. It's not, it's not even about what Abraham said. Well, I want to be like Abraham, a friend to God. I want to tell you, being a son is better than being a friend. Amen. Being a son is better than being a friend. The, the whole pinnacle of redemption we, took, we sung a song this morning, I Am Redeemed. The, whole, the, whole, the, the paramount pinnacle of that great revelation is, is that we are sons now. Sons of the Most High God. Jesus calls us sons. God calls us sons. The Holy Spirit calls us sons. And now Jesus calls us sons in John 15 and 15. Jesus actually says these words, No longer do I call you servants. If Jesus don't call you servants, why do you want to relate and identify to God as a servant? Jesus saying, he was about to go to the cross. He says, now this is going to end this servant mentality, this orphan spirit. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant, look here, does not know what his master is doing. Man, all the songs fit. We're, we're seated at the table. Servants don't sit at the table. The servants don't come in and put their knees under the table in the evening meal with the father. But the sons come and put their feet under the table. Sons sit around the table. The father discusses the family business with the sons. God reveals what his heart is to the sons. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I call you friends 
For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. A servant doesn't know his master's will. Listen, a servant has to be told what to do. A servant has to be told what to do. Well, I'm just waiting on the Lord, your servant. You know Smith Wigglesworth? Anybody ever heard of that guy? This radical plumber that got so believing in the finished work of the cross. And Smith Wigglesworth had this thing. He said, you know, he said, if I go into any place and I don't sense God moving, he said, I move God. He said, I'm not going to wait on the move of God because you know what he said? Listen, he said, for I know what God would do if he was there and I'm going to do what he would do. You know what that is? That's a son. Because a son's not waiting on God. A son knows and always does what the father would do. Jesus was a son. He said, I always do what the father, what I see the father do. I, I don't have to be told anymore. I've seen the father do this. And so I see that this needs to be done, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to heal the sick, raise the dead. I'm going to cast out devils. I'm not going to wait on the Lord to tell me what to do. I know to brush my teeth. I don't have to be told to brush my teeth. I know to brush my teeth. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a baby. I'm not a wheels. I'm a, son, I'm a mature son of God. There's a big difference. See, that's why creation is groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. You know what that son there is, the, the word, Greek word? It's, it's, not, it's not a child. It's a mature son. The creation is groaning for the manifestation of the mature sons of God. As many as are led by the Spirit, these are the what? Sons of God. As many as are what? Led by the Spirit. These are the sons of God. Again, that word sons there in the Greek is mature sons. So you have to be mature to be led by the Spirit. And so a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. And you know what? And it's so sad he has to be told what to do and listen. And then he relates to God on the basis of what he does. In other words, I obeyed the Lord. So I did this, so God ought to do this. In other words, if he does good, he thinks God loves him more because I obeyed the Lord. I did what God told me to do. Now I don't understand why this is happening in my life or why. See, that's, that's that orphan spirit again. How sad and tragic it is to be enslaved to such a lie like that. Listen, a mature son is nothing like that. A mature son has the mind of Christ. A mature son is clothed with the righteousness that's not his own. A mature son relates to the father on the basis of the love from the father that the father has shown him. A servant waits on God, but a son don't wait. He sees what the father is doing and he does it. Number three, main point. When you have the experience of God as your father, then what's going to happen is it that you're going to have your identity secure. You're going to know who you are in him. Number two, you're going to have that security. And then number three, you're going to know that you have a home. A home. Heaven is your home. Heaven is your home. That, that'll, that'll become more important to you the older you get. But listen to me. Many Christians see heaven as their destination when they die. But they don't see heaven as their home while they live. Big difference. That's so good, I want to say that again. Many Christians see heaven as their destination when they die. 
Well, when I die, I'm going to heaven. But they don't see heaven as their home while they live on this earth. And, and, and let me tell you something. I lived uh, over four years ago now. We, we moved to where I'm living now. And that's home to my children. But it's not where they were raised. Not a one of them were raised where I live now. Where we lived previously, we lived there 19 years. And for the most part, most of their uh, life was in that geography, in that place, that address. But that's not home anymore, but the address is still there. What makes a home is not an address. It's not even the memories of that place. What makes a home is where the father is. A father makes it a home. And so we are to live our lives. Most Christians live like this. They live, they're looking forward to go to heaven. That's their whole concept. They believe the whole thing is just to get you home package. Fire insurance and to get you home. And they live their life looking forward and in, in living their life let me say it like this from an earth toward heaven perspective but you and I when the revelation that the God is your father and heaven is your home you have a home some of the most confused disoriented confused people are people that have moved around so much that they have no roots they have no home they don't even know where home is and it's not because of addresses but it really boils down even to what I think that God was using Crawford to encourage us about, those relationships, that, 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 that father, at home. You know, you hear, you know, house is a house, but it takes something else to make it a home. It takes love in there. It takes, it's, it's just something totally different. Maybe God's speaking to us today. I believe he is. See, but listen to me. Most Christians, listen, they live with, from an earth towards heaven perspective. That's, that's, a, that's a horrible way to live. Listen, you may not understand it, but just listen to the words. You and I are to live from a heaven towards earth perspective. I'm going back to where I came from. Some of you ain't going to get that, and you're going to think I just went zap, you know, zappo right there. But if you were in Christ, Jesus said nobody's ever gone to heaven except he who has come from heaven. That's a whole other message, and that's too deep water for you to be in this morning, me and you. But it's in there. Jesus said, don't nobody go to heaven except the ones that have come from heaven. For the Son of Man will return to heaven because he came from heaven. You are in Christ. All you're going to do is go home. You may not know that heaven's your home, but what will help you know that heaven's your home is because of God being your father. Because your birthday ain't your birthday. Your birthday is your earth day. Let's just wait out there a little bit. I ain't the only one believes this. TDJ believers got to be right. <laughs> Before you left heaven as a spirit and God <laughs> blew you into your mother's womb and wrapped you with a soul and clothed you with a body, God, who is a spirit, John 4, God is a spirit. God is not a man. That he should lie. God is not a woman. But when God got ready to reveal himself, he revealed himself in manhood. God is spirit. 
them that worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. That's not a way that is God. God is spirit. And so if you can receive this, before you ever came here, God said, now I'm going to blow you into your mother's womb. You're going to be gone a while. But you'll remember me because you're going to remember my voice because you're going to hear it again. And you're going to come back to me. God never created hell for any human. God didn't create hell anyway. It's old enough there. Never is a verse that said God created hell. It was made for the devil and his angels. Who made it? Lucifer himself. You ever seen people can create hell? Hell in a life, hell in finances, hell in marriage. God didn't do it. They created it. God didn't create hell either. God can't create what's not in him. But that's why there's something been inside every human trying to get back to the Father. And God has whispered to you. He has spoken to you with that still small voice. He has called you by name. And he's called you unto himself. Because your earth day is just your earth day. But your birthday is when God breathed you. You're eternal, meant to have everlasting, eternal life. God breathed into the nostril of Adam, and he became a living soul. Do you know Adam would have never died had there not been sin? You believe that? Sure. Do you know right before Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives, he had his disciples gathered in a room where he'd actually walked through the wall, made manifested himself to them. And then he said these words to them. He said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. And then it says this, and he blew upon them. How many believes he did that and nothing happened? He's standing in resurrected body. And he said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. I guess Benny Hinn can blow on people if he wants to. It's in the Bible. He blew upon them. What was he doing? He was redoing everything that had been undone. It was God in Christ blowing his breath back in to his people. Just like he blew into Adam. Jesus was called the last Adam. And we are to live our lives not like we, we hope when we die we make it to heaven. We are seated now with Christ in heavenly places. Is that what the Bible says? So if I am seated with Christ now, I know bodily you're not there. I'm not stupid. I know you're where you are. You're sitting in that seat. You have a location, geography. You are there. But you are there in your body, but your spirit and your destiny and your eternity has already been, you are seated with Christ. You're not, you're not laboring any longer because Christ is resting and seated because his labor has ended. Then you are seated with him. What most Christians know is that Christ died for them, but they don't know that Christ died as them. Jesus, you, you were crucified. Is that what the Bible says? You were crucified. You and I were crucified with Christ. You were also buried with him. 
And you also were raised with him. And you also ascended with him. And you are also seated with him. Those are five things. Five is the number of grace. That's what happened to us. It's not that you just got your, your, your slate cleansed. Your sins washed away. Because that in itself would not make you righteous. Because, listen, Jesus was crucified, listen, for your sins, the Bible says in Romans, but he was raised from the dead for our justification, for our righteousness. In other words, Jesus died, he shed his blood for your sin to be removed, but he was raised from the dead so that you would be declared eternally righteous. That your righteousness is eternal. You've been declared eternally righteous before God. And if Jesus called you righteous, I don't care what anybody else calls you, you're still righteous. You may not behave righteous, you might not always look righteous, and you may not always act righteous. But the part of you that is righteous, beyond all doubt, is your spirit. You need to understand that in your spirit, that is what was made righteous, sealed by the Holy Spirit. And if you will start living out of your spirit, live by the spirit you'll find sin being far, far a less problem than you ever thought it could be. Because sin shall not have dominion over you. For we are not under law, but we are under grace. And you start living out of the revelation. You know what you start doing? You don't worry about the economy. Now, you, you can disagree and that's fine. Whatever you need to, you know, rock your world, bang your shutters, you just keep doing it, okay? It's just me. But I have just about, and for years I've done this, for years I have just about totally annihilated, you know, cut off all news. Don't you want to stay informed? No. I had rather be uninformed than misinformed. And they may be a microscopic one every now and then, truth in news. And if you're in news and journalism, I mean, I'm not mad with you and just keep your head down and I won't know you work at the paper, Okay. But most news is just a pack of lies. Just like the man, the two Georgia convicts. First news, the, the guy held them at gunpoint until the police got there. I sat there and watched the guy's interview come out with his wife and the daughter, and, 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 and he said none of that was true. Google it. He said, I just need to set the record straight. He said, I never held them at gunpoint. He said, I had weapons in my car. He said, I was trying to back my car out and get out, get, you know, get, get gone. I saw them running you know, through the field coming my way. I had been warned that they were in the area. And he said that I looked and saw a guy with tattoos coming through the field. And I jumped in my car and put it in reverse. And it was just me and my little daughter. And he said, I was getting out of there. But he said, that guy got there quicker than I thought. And he said, I had weapons. And I was going to try to protect myself and my daughter. But he said, both of those guys just fell down right on my concrete drive and spread out, spread eagle, and just laid there. He said, I never pulled a gun or anything. He said, I didn't even say nothing to him. He said, they just laid there. And he said, within 30 seconds, 90 seconds, to, he said, there was probably 40 law enforcement people there. He said, I ain't never been so glad to see the police come in my life. <laughs> and he said, I just want to set the record straight that I'm not a hero, and I didn't pull a weapon, and I didn't hold these guys at gunpoint until the law got there. And he said, I'm going to take two questions, and that's all. And he got two dumb questions, and he answered them and went, and went on about his business. But that right there, I thought right there again. I did see that. That's why I put that on Facebook. That's the only reason I saw it then. And it was on Facebook. And I said, I at least watch that. And I said, that right there is why I don't watch news. Because I don't want to be lied to. I don't want to be misinformed. I'm not saying you're, you're wrong if you watch. You watch all news you want to. 
But that's why you might have to take a sleep pill. If you lay there in the bed at 11 o'clock at night and you fill your mind with death, destruction, and hell, and then you, well, I'm going to switch the light off, go to sleep now. Well, hallelujah, have a good night's sleep. Glory to God. I'm not doing that. This whole world's just going crazy in that whole arena. Don't you want to be? No, I, I mean, if it's big enough, I'll find out about it. Don't worry about it. People will be, they'll, tell, they'll tell me. Did you hear about this? No. Well, I, I mean, it was awful. Well, hallelujah. They're going to tell you about it. How about, did you hear about the blessing? How about that? Well, how about hitting me with that one time? Did you hear about this good? You don't ever get that. But you've got to live your life that you're already seated with Christ. And you live from a heaven towards earth perspective. And I'm not looking to go when I die. If you can receive it, I'm already there. I'm not scared about dying. I'm not scared about the judgment. I'm not, I'm not waiting to see if I made it. I was raised on that theology. You know, I'm going to die, you know, and die, and then after death, the judgment, and then you're going to walk up to God and see if you made it or not. And God's going to look at you, you know, and see if you was good enough. Or, you know, well, I bless, I'll take you in, you know. I mean, I, I'll just take I mean, it's just stupid. Well, I just tell the other night I preached somewhere, and I just rocked people's world. I didn't mean to, but if you ask me to preach, I'm going to preach grace. And listen, ending with this, perfection has always been God's standard. The only people that are going to go to heaven are people that have fulfilled the law, 613 commands, including the 10 big ones, that, but 613 total. And listen, the only people, listen to me, it's going to sound strange to you, the only people that's going to heaven are people that have always and forever kept all 613 and have never missed one of them, not a single time ever in their existence. That's the people that's going to heaven. Can you say perfect? The first public sermon Jesus ever preached in the Mount of Olives, I mean, in the Mount, yeah, in Matthew 5, Jesus, in part of that sermon, he said these words, be perfect. And he, and, and he defined what perfect was. Are you with me? He said, be perfect just like my heavenly Father is perfect. So in other words, so Jesus said, I command you to be perfect. And, and what I'm saying, the, the defining definition, listen, of perfection is that you've got to be just like God. You, as perfect as God is, that's how perfect you've got to be to go to be to heaven. You see how quiet it is in here right now, bro? That's in Matthew 5. Last verse of Matthew chapter 5. The last verse, he says, be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus said, be perfect, and, the, the, and he defined what perfection is, as perfect as God. That has always been God's name. Some of you right now, I love you with all my heart. I wish I could just hug you. Just keep coming, you'll understand it. That is the Bible. I know when you go to funerals, they talk about this was a good person, he did this, and he was benevolent. Nothing wrong with that unless you qualify that as why he's going to heaven. Then you damn people. Nothing wrong with highlighting people's benevolence, but it is wrong to highlight their benevolence as if that is why they're going to heaven. That is a damnable doctrine. That is makes the, the cross and Jesus is coming useless. Jesus didn't have to come, just be good. Right out here on our interstate, real Christians. See that billboard? Real Christians obey Jesus' commandments. So you got real Christians. I heard on the radio yesterday, good Christians. That's an oxymoron. Good Christians do this. 
So then I guess if you have good Christians, you got bad Christians. And if you got bad Christians, maybe you got good and bad Christians, and you got middle of the road Christians, and you there's no such thing as good Christians. Good Christians do this. Real Christians. There, there is no such thing as a real Christian. You either is or you ain't. It's not like I'm real pregnant. I'm good and pregnant. No, you just pregnant. You're not more pregnant at eight months than you were at three weeks. Pregnant is pregnant. So you shouldn't be talking about pregnant. You don't know what that's like. I do two, two weeks I've had a kidney stone. I just pass that. <laughs> I'll have ten babies before I have another kidney stone. I done rode that ride twice. They couldn't give me enough drugs in these past few days. Somebody the other day said, well, I heard, they, they say it's like having a baby. I said, man, I watched my wife have a baby. She didn't, she, mm, she wasn't in pain like this. I watched her have three. They put, had me on a morphine pump, you know what I'm saying? You put her on a morphine pump to have a baby. I know you went right now, I don't want to go there. <laughs> pregnant's pregnant. Righteousness is righteousness. Listen to me. I know I've said this before. People in my office, they're struggling. What pleases the Lord? I'm just trying to do right. I hope I make it to heaven when I go. You know, I used to go out and witness people. We'd, we'd, one of the questions we'd do that evangelist explosion, we'd say, you know, if you were to die today and stand before God and he was to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would your answer be? Invariably, nine out of ten of them would say, I've been a pretty good person. And what they would, insinuate, what they would uh, accent is things that they hadn't done. Well, I hadn't killed anybody. And I hadn't murdered, and I hadn't, you know, done this and hadn't done that. And so they would highlight what they hadn't done, but they would never talk about what they had done. But it don't work like that with the law. Because the Bible says in Romans that Christ is the end of the law for obtaining righteousness. Now listen, if, if, if God's standard has always been, it always has perfection. See, Jesus didn't come to destroy the law, he came to fulfill the law. So the Bible says that Christ now has fulfilled the law, and, and that fulfillment of the law that Christ did has been accredited to my account. So as God looks at me, I have never in my existence ever violated any of the 613 commandments. Because to my account, it shows paid in full, totally perfect by Jesus. That, that's, that's, the, that's the gospel of grace. Now listen, it's in 1 John. I don't have the Bible memorized yet. I'm working on it. But in 1 John... Uh, I don't know what chapter 4 or 5 I believe it is, but it says, as he is, Jesus, so are we in this world. Anybody remember that in there besides me? Say amen. Okay, I didn't make that up. So we're just like Jesus. You're pound for pound, molecule for molecule, cell for cell, righteous for righteous. You are, the righteousness that you possess is Jesus' righteousness. So you are just like Christ. In other words, you're just like God because God is Christ. You're just, in your square, in your spirit, you're just like that. Now listen, listen. If perfection has always been God's standard, I know I've told you this before, I'm trying to help you see this. Zero is zero, okay? Ten is perfection. It's like a painting, Michelangelo. You know perfection means complete. So like if you had this great, you know, like, you know, a Michelangelo uh, painting or something like that, you know, a Picasso or whatever. 
you know, it'd be like they, somebody showed that to you and they go, look at that. And, that you, and, and to the art world, they would say, that's perfect. But what you do is you walk up and look at it and you go, well, I think I can make it better. And you dip your little brush into the red paint and you just add a few little things. And by your adding to that Picasso, you destroyed it. And then when you saw that what you added, well, then you think the cure for that, well, that, I just add a little more. And before long, we just got a bunch of jibber-jabber up there. And that's mine and your version of righteousness. Well, I'll just do this. Well, I'll just keep the Ten Commandments, except for the fourth one, which is remember the Sabbath, because I like to mow yards on Saturday, so I'll just break that one, and that one don't count. So I really not the ten, it's the big nine. See what you did there? So then you cherry pick, smorgasbord, whatever you want to call it, and I'll just, I will, I'll have me a little of this, I'll obey this, I'll do this, but now I'm going to still eat my scrimp now, Brother Dale. I love me some scrimp. Shrimp. I love me some red lobster now. Don't be taken. But if you keep the sixth turn of 13, your red lobster days are history. So don't tell me you keep the law and you go, let me catch you at red lobster. Devil is a lie. You better get out of here. You're breaking the law. Uh-uh. Jesus fulfilled the law to the totality of it all. He didn't break one of it ever. He didn't break it. He lived it in the flesh, never broke it. Listen, and then my account got accredited to his keeping of the law. He filled it full. The law's filled full. There's nothing else to do. Jesus has already fulfilled the law. He accredited my account with that fulfillment. Now, the righteousness of the law has been fulfilled, the Bible says, now in me through Christ Jesus. And so when God looks at me, I'm just, like, I'm just as perfect as he is. Because listen, 10, you got to be a 10 to go to heaven, and that's perfect. And, and zero is, is not perfect. And there is no numbers in between. So there'll be no sevens going to heaven, no threes, not even a nine is going to make it. Preach, brother, I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> you got to be a ten. Now, now listen, I asked people this other night at the place I was preaching, and they looked so shocked. If Jesus' death and burial and resurrection of the cross did not make you a ten, and you've told me you've accepted him now, and you've put your faith and trust in him, and he's your Lord and Savior. But if that didn't make you perfect, what benevolent deed, act, or sacrifice will you perform that will finish the work and make you perfect? What will you do? What, what, how much money will you have to give? How much church attending will you have to do? How, what, 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 what will you do that will fill in the gap and bring you from a six to a ten? And then if you do that, then you're the Savior, not Jesus. You see what an offense to the Spirit of grace that is? Jesus' blood finished it, it all for you and me. Amen. And he made your spirit perfect when you got born again. You and the flesh are not perfect yet as far as your physical flesh. But your spirit, the part of you that is the real you, is. And you need to live out of that revelation. And you're not going to impress God with anything that you do or with anything that you don't do. But when you got born again, your spirit was sealed. And then out of that, your soul, your mind, will, and emotion is being renewed day by day, being led by the spirit. And at the end of this whole deal, your flesh is going to be exchanged for a glorified body. It'll never get cancer. It'll never have kidney stones. It'll never hurt. 
It'll never have any problems whatsoever. You're going to have a glorified body that will be flesh and bones, yet you can walk through walls. I can't wait to try that out. Come on, give the Lord praise. Would you do it? Stand with me, please. Stand to your feet. You know, when I leave here, and I'm talking about the earth, and I know they always feel like they got to write something on your tombstone. And I won't be around to say what they write. So before I'm gone, maybe I'll say this. I don't really care what they write. Well, I kind of do, but I don't. But, but, but this, this is my point. If you feel like you got to write something, you know, wouldn't mind my name being there. But you can just put on there, gone home. Gone home. Because I have a home. And what makes it home is not streets of gold, pearly gates. I don't care if it had dirt floors and thatch roof huts. Heaven still be heaven if Papa's there. Father's what makes it home. I live this in this earth knowing this ain't my home. People don't act down here like they're supposed to. People are cruel and mean and hurtful and wicked and full of all kinds of problems. But I really do look forward to being home where there'll never ever be another tear because God will wipe them off my eyes. You'll never stand by the bedside of somebody that's suffering from Dementia and Alzheimer's. You'll never hold the hand of a person withering away from cancer. Never. Because you're home. And when you come home, there'll be brothers and sisters waiting on to meet you. And I love how the Bible teaches it. It says, when you do leave here, I remember way back when my granddaddy died. I was just a little fella. I mean, I don't know, I was 12, 13 years old, 14 maybe. A bunch of preachers, here's the Holiness Baptist preachers, a bunch of them in the hospital room. I maybe wasn't the best grandchild, but I was his favorite. I wouldn't leave the hospital, and I went down to the chapel, and I just begged Mom and Daddy to just to be able to stay. And I went to the chapel and laid on one of the pews and just said, if he changes, you know, come get me. Well, they came and got me when he passed. The night before my granddaddy was moved from his home where he lived, he was in a, had brain tumor and cancer, and he was in a hospital bed, and my dad just standing there, and his brother and my grandmother, who's going to be the Lord, they were there, and they heard a commotion, and my granddaddy would have these grand mal seizures, these full-body seizures from that tumor in his brain. And they heard a commotion, and they thought he was having another seizure. And that stroke that he'd had had left his left side totally paralyzed. From that Saturday, Friday night when he went to bed till he woke on Saturday morning, I never heard my granddaddy say an audible thing that I could understand him say. He lost his ability to speak coherently. But he understood I could see the frustration and the tears many times run down his face. He was trying to talk to me and couldn't get the words out. He was never able to lift his left arm. And when he would walk, he would just have to drag his legs, that left leg. 
Well, they heard a commotion and they walked into the room. And when they walked into the room, he was sitting up in the bed. Had both of his arms raised to heaven. I don't care whether you believe it or not. Had both arms raised to heaven and he was speaking, they said, in tongues. The most articulate language of tongues. He was just speaking in tongues. And he was looking like he was looking through the ceiling. And they stood there with the hair standing on the end as my granddaddy held both his hands up and prayed in the spirit, talking to Papa. They said he folded his arms back down and went back into a coma. The next morning I was standing there when the ambulance came and towed him down the porch and front steps and loaded him up. That'd be his last ride, and he carried him to the hospital. And he was in the room, and I was laying in the room and they come and got me and said he had passed and when I went in there there was a bunch of them preachers and of course people were crying and stuff and I was too there was this old homeless preacher and they said right before my granddaddy passed he spoke up and he'd been like that for a long time and he said he said brothers the Lord just sent his angels to come get Glenn and they said when he said that the spirit of the Lord just filled the room and my granddaddy breathed his last and was gone. The Bible teaches us that when we die, the Lord sends angels, plural, to escort us home. God's like saying, ain't no need to go home lonely. I believe that God could have sent one angel, could have picked up my granddaddy's frail body and towed him by himself, but the Lord sent angels, an entourage, an escort, your personal escort into the arms of God. And every loved one that you've ever had to leave this earth that's gone to be with the Lord, they've been escorted there by a whole company of angels. Those angels come and pick them up and say, come on, we're going home. We're going home. Papa's waiting on you. He sent us to get you. Let's go. Because Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I know people say they all out there in the graveyard asleep. Ain't nothing out there but their flesh. That's the suit that they wore. But their spirit person, they're they, 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 they going to be with the Lord. That's what Paul said. Paul said, I desire to depart. I know for me to remain would be better for y'all, he said, but I sure desire to depart. Because he said, if I know if I depart, I'll be with the Lord. So Ron posted pictures of his dad. A lot of you today are thinking about your dads and stuff. Maybe moms as well. This day's a sad day for a lot of people because they miss their dad. They wish they had. I see David, you and our children passed, posted pictures of his dad. Posted up, they said, I wish I had one more chance to talk to him. I'm so glad my dad's here. Let's do what the Spirit of the Lord is telling us today. Let's reunite some families, restore some things. Live like you got a daddy. Don't be an orphan spirit person. Don't worry about tomorrow and food and clothing and the shelter. I, I read this morning, just for me, Jesus said, are not two sparrows sold for two copper coins? He said, you are more valuable to me and sparrows. He said, and I would say to you that not one sparrow would fall to the ground without the knowledge of your father. He said, it's your father's good pleasure to give unto his children the kingdom. 
And if a, he said, if a sparrow would fall to the ground, and he said, I, there's not one of them falls, but I don't know about it. And you know what he said the next verse? He said, you're more valuable to me than many sparrows. And then you know what he said in the next verse? He said, for the hairs of your head are numbered by your father. Nobody knows you that like, like that. No one. You're more valuable than sparrows. And if God says, if I feed the sparrows, then won't I take care of my own children? You're not an orphan. If they lay you off at the company, God's going to provide. If they, whatever happens, God's going to provide. God's brought you this far. God woke you up this morning, started you on your way. God is the one that while you're not sitting there with slobber running out your mouth and don't even know your name and where you are, the Lord's blessed you today. The Lord's blessed you and increased you today. Man, I feel this thing today so strong. You are a son. Man and woman, you have a father who loves you. You are more valuable to him than sparrows. He's going to take care of you. You're going to be all right. God's going to restore your family. God's going to bless you. So many things God wants to say to so many of you. God's going to bless you. He has blessed you. And he's never retrieved or pulled that blessing. You receive it today. Amen. Ministry team, would you come quickly? I'm going to dismiss the church. We don't ever want to dismiss you, though, unless you have a desire for prayer. We're here for you. We want to pray with you and for you. We believe God with you for whatever you want to pray about. It doesn't matter to us. The greatest thing that someone can do is come down here and put their faith in Jesus and trust in him. You can do it down there where you stand, but it's great to do it here. I've been loving doing this lately, not because I think I'm anything. Last Sunday, I met people that's been coming here for years, several years, and had never even came up and shook my hand. I never even embraced them. I want to meet you. I really do. So... If you want to just come up and hug my neck and say, hey, I'm so-and-so, and I've been coming here for two years and never spoke, then I want you to come up, I, I, you know, if you want to do that. So I'm here to just agree with you. I'll pray with you or whatever, that, whatever you need. We'll serve you in any way that we can uh, here at this church. Amen? Father, you are that, our Father. We're not orphans, more valuable to you than many sparrows. We thank you and bless you on this Father's Day. I bless every dad in here. I bless the restoration of all families. I thank you for what you're doing by the Spirit today. In Jesus' name. God bless you, church. Go and enjoy this day. If you want prayer, please come this way. We'll be glad to.